Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 20, Coaching in Education, with Julie Keyes. Welcome back, everyone, to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. We have a brand new guest who is joining us remotely today. Um, It gives me great pleasure to welcome Julie Keyes, who is lead coach at The Educational Coach. Julie, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, a very warm welcome to you. And uh, you're in sunny but cold Cornwall. That's right. Um, I'm looking outside. I'm hoping you might, if you're lucky, you might hear some seagulls. Ooh. we got plenty of those over here. Cacophony of seagulls. <laughs> We've in got a... big scary ones in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really good of you to join us on our, on our Humble podcast today. And we're going to, as our listeners would imagine, talk to you all about the educational coach and uh, your role as lead coach. But I think probably the best thing to tell us first is, I guess, first and foremost, you're a teacher. Tell us about your background and what prompted you to move to the private sector in the world of coaching. Yeah, so um, I always say that I am a teacher by vocation and training. I still consider myself to be a teacher, even though I'm not in the classroom day to day. That is just who I am, I suppose. And and I found that quite difficult moving out of the classroom into the private sector, as you say, and just having a new identity, but still feeling as though I was very much a teacher. What do I tell people that I do now? Yeah, so I'm secondary trained teacher geography love a bit of geography and so started my career in secondary schools and then I actually moved to the independent sector I worked in prep schools and internationally probably for the rest of my career actually and my husband and I my husband is also a teacher primary trained and he and I met at a school um it was a sort of staff room romance don't know if I'm allowed to say that um and um then we went and lived in Malaysia and taught at an international school there um for three years and then we came back to sunny but cold Cornwall where I was a deputy head in a prep school and my husband was teaching in a local primary school he still teaches in the classroom so I still have that connectedness to the classroom he comes back every day and tells me the wonderful things the children have said and the stresses and strains of every every day life in the classroom I decided to take a step back um I suppose mainly because my husband and I had have this really lovely relationship where we've kind of gone in and out of being the person who was at home and I said right off you go back to the classroom I'm going to be the person at home now with our children I've missed out on too many school pickups or not being able to go to their play or the sports day and I want to have a piece of that so that was the the initial motivation it turned out I wasn't very good at just sort of not really doing all that much while they were at school. So I started actually just doing a little bit of consultancy and that was amazing because it was so varied in the in the jobs that I got. And then the pandemic hit and all the consultancy work that I had built up had completely cleared out because of course school's priorities were, you know, spending money on PPE <laughs> essentially. And then I I got a couple of contracts with schools helping them with their transition to online learning and a lot of the stuff I was doing was working with senior leaders essentially crisis management I suppose and then whole school training around teaching online 
and one-to-ones and a lot of the one-to-ones I had both with teaching staff and with senior leadership felt like coaching although it wasn't something I was formally putting out there and I thought to myself I, that, that's something that's really interesting it's definitely a need and something I really enjoy so I trained I did my coach um, training in my accreditation and offered it as a as a separate service and and that has really flown that seems to be in huge demand in various different ways. So that's the abridged version. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too long. <laughs> so we work a lot with beginning teachers. Obviously, over here in initial teacher education, loads of our audience are relatively new members of the profession. We've talked about coaching and mentoring uh, before. We've tried to draw a distinction between them. I'm just kind of interested, I suppose, who asks for coaching from you is it the senior ones is it the new ones is it the ones who are struggling and and what sort of thing would you be doing is it is it really broad or are there particular areas that you specialize in i suppose um well th- th- those are those are all good questions so just to go back to your coaching mentoring thing i always present it as this sort of it sits within a complementary suite of services. So we have down one end kind of therapy and counselling, mentoring, um, you might have consultancy, and they're all ways in which somebody might be supported in their school. And coaching sits right in the middle of that. It is distinct from therapy and counselling in, in the respect that it can be feel quite therapeutic to have a space to reflect and, and, and talk one-to-one with somebody. But it's uh, therapy tends to be past focused and usually trauma induced in some way mentoring as you will have sort of explored is somebody who's walked your path before essentially so can give you advice about what you can avoid some challenges that might come up how you can have success in that role and then of course we have advisory services and, and consultancy down the other end which would be fairly specific so understanding where coaching sits helps better to understand why people might ask for it as opposed to any of the other services people who ask for coaching i find usually it does come from senior leaders but that's because they're just they're the decision makers they come to me because they want to embed a coaching culture in their school they want to support staff at all stages of their career in their professional development and their personal growth but something that we try and put distinctly apart from other coaching services that typically coaching services have been the preserve of the senior leadership team and from my experience and from my sort of philosophy I would say that spending an hour navel gazing as I talk as I as I say it with the head doesn't make cultural change if you really want to make impact it has to be everybody so we coach everybody from the TA to the CEO we have a really quite wide-ranging role distribution as well as career progression distribution as well it strikes me that um the point you made about there being sort of a, an, an appetite for this now and and uh, particularly this rise of um of coaching books geared towards busy teachers who really want to be research informed and want to engage with what the research has to say but they're very busy and they want to be sort of 
self-developing and and uh, have agency to do that so I, I just wondered how your work fits into a context where perhaps a school is a bit further behind on that sort of curve and that that bend towards a culture of coaching one that is more sort of high accountability orientated one that uh you know it might be deemed to be quite restrictive do, do those sorts of schools approach you or do you find yourself working with teachers in those contexts and how, how do you find them <laughs> that's um that's such a good question actually because you're you're right it, it, typically they probably wouldn't be the people who would come willingly because they are so in the day-to-day and very performance related and I like to consider first of all when I have an initial conversation with any um, member of staff be it an individual teacher or the head teacher or whoever it might be that's making a decision about this is what's the outcome that you want to achieve from this why would you want to do this are you ready for coaching and and that is not very good business sense but i've turned quite a number of schools away in the respect that i know that they're not ready and if they're not ready it's not going to make impact and if it's not going to make impact then that ultimately reflects on us as an organization and and i want to make sure that the schools are in the right place to receive coaching and there are a number of ways they can kind of assess that either by judging appetite and they know what there's what's going on in their schools in terms of initiatives already. But just to really simplify it down, to talk about that um, balance between the two things, if you imagine a, a graph with two axes, we've got on the y-axis purpose and on the x-axis performance, I would ask a school to reflect where are you which axes are you hugging more closely at the moment? And if it's very much on performance, then how can we pull you further to the center? And that middle path between the two of them, that's the kind of sweet spot for coaching. It's a a bit of an ethereal answer, I suppose, but I, I, um, I think that, or an abstract answer, but that's sort of how I judge it, which is what is the outcome that you're looking to achieve? And does that fit with the principles of coaching? So, once you've deemed I found that really fascinating you know the sort of the soil has to be fertile for the coaching methods to start to produce green shoots so once you get in there once you've deemed it the right sort of environment for the methods to work what's your approach I'm fascinated to know you know is there a particular model that you use are there particular methods that you use and and how do you know that they work Mm, that's yeah that's the uh, that's the golden question isn't it how do we know how can we measure impact um, and understand so our method is um and forgive me because we <laughs> um in our in our team we're trying to come up with a really nice acronym that would encompass our whole methodology and uh, it uses the word help so the first stage is this is about embedding a coaching culture across the school so there are times when we do individual coaching it might be that a senior leader would like some coaching or there's somebody who is preparing to step into another a new role and those those types of coaching are slightly aside if we're talking about embedding a coaching culture then we use this methodology which is the first one is hook so if we're going through the word help the first one is hook so that is about understanding readiness which we've already discussed once we've moved past that and we believe people are ready our next step is experience we believe that to be good coaches you have to experience what it's like to be coached 
that period of experience might be extended or shortened depending on what the need is it may be that people in a school really want to have one-to-one -one coaching as part of their own professional development and personal growth just that moment in time to have space to talk to somebody to have a sounding board somebody outside of their organization to ask challenging questions to push their practice on so we have that experience part and then we have learn which is the coach training part and again schools decide whether that's basic intermediate advanced and then the p is practice facilitated practice where we sit alongside people in their first uh, ventures into doing coaching be it with their peers with their team or even with with pupils as well and try and give them feedback in the moment and I'm I'm curious to know um, because I I did notice um, that you you work with NQTs newly qualified teachers or um, their early career teachers I believe now in England and obviously we're coming out the back of a significant world event that has you know rocked the education world you know and and beyond and I'm just wondering you know are you noticing any emerging patterns or or needs particular needs of of teachers and, and early career teachers in particular we know from our own research that their training was significantly impacted their teacher education was significantly impacted in 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 lots of cases they weren't even able to spend a full year of their of their teacher education in school uh, you know practicing their practice so are, are you seeing any of these patterns emerging when you're getting out into schools yeah absolutely i mean what you said there is what do, what do they need and um i've written down the word normality um normality just a space and time to be able to hone their craft practice their craft start their craft and just to use a, a very basic coaching model to introduce this idea to explain what it is that they need when I talk to people, when I do their initial coaching session, I use something called self-determination theory. And on a very, very basic level, it's three things that all humans want or need. Humans want autonomy, the ability to choose, um, make their own decisions. They want to feel mastery. They want to feel confident or competent, and they want to feel relatedness to others. And when I speak to early career teachers, they feel that mastery feels as though it's been impacted. And, and the reason that's, and, and also autonomy as well, because so much has been out of their control. And so what happens when you have those areas impacted is that the only one that's left is relatedness to others. So that connectedness and leaning on other people and seeing what other people are doing is the, the only way that they can start feeling more confident. In fact, actually mastery can be impacted by that because the weight of other people's opinions can, can hold more heavily. So they, when I speak to early career teachers, I notice that there's a, I don't feel confident theme coming through. I don't have choice is another theme that comes through. And therefore the opinion of other people within their schools, more experienced teachers, people on social media, etc., weighs more heavily um, and has a higher impact. I'm just going to ask about the transition between kind of practicing classroom teacher and that that first move into a senior leadership role. I suppose it tends to be that moment where you move from being a head of department, perhaps to being an assistant head, that sort of level. Maybe I'm out of, out massively out of date and feel free to tell me if I am. But certainly when I was working in schools, there was often a bit of a sense that 
somebody who'd spent ages and ages in the classroom and, and you know, running a, a small department would, would go upstairs to senior leadership world, but not necessarily get particularly looked after in that transition you know they, they would become a leader and I know when I was new to teaching I think well yes I wouldn't I wouldn't serve a leader who hadn't served their time in the classroom but the, the longer I spent in school the more I thought well actually I'm not quite sure any other industry would put people in leadership roles with so little specific leadership training and you know, I would I would see people kind of struggle in that role has that changed at all since I was observing that in the classroom do we have that transition from from practicing teacher to a, a leader of teachers sorted out or is there still room for improvement there there's there's still room I mean you hit the nail on the head which is I have also long believed that you trained let's say initially you, do, you did your PGC your your education degree and you trained to be a music teacher or whatever it might have been and then you know fast forward 10 15 20 years and you're you're running an organization and i know people don't like to talk about it in business terms but you know you have to be hr finance you have to know your numbers you need to understand how to market your school you need to understand how to look after people lead people inspire people and all of those things formed no part of your initial training because because you were training to be a teacher. So yes, there is a transition that has to happen naturally. And there are, over time, steps that happen. You might become, as you say, a head of department and therefore you get to practice your exercise, your muscle around leading others or having more responsibility. But I don't think it's until you step into the senior leadership that you, it, it's, it's a step change it's a step change for sure and i don't think there's enough preparation or support perhaps when you're in those roles to make sure that they're fully equipped for, to it bringing it back to you now julian and your role as as lead coach i think it's it's clear where your expertise lies but do you ever find yourself in a situation where your philosophical beliefs as a teacher and as a, a former teacher of geography don't necessarily align with those of the people you're coaching does that matter and if so what happens if there is a clash about philosophies about teaching and learning and you know signature pedagogies maybe that the school are adamant have to feature in a teacher's practice does that come up is that is that a problem that is something that I have reflected on a lot, actually, which is what happens if I really disagree with the way that this person is either conducting themselves or the way that they relate to their teams. A lot of the stuff we do in coaching is that relatedness to others piece, which is about, you know, how am I working with my staff and my school and the people above me and the people below me and the, and the, and the pupils. So it's not that we necessarily get into the nitty gritty of pedagogy, but it, it may be that there are times where I feel I'm not on board with what that person is saying. That being said, my role as a coach is not to pass judgment or to offer advice, in fact, in those situations. And I really try to sharpen my skills by coaching people outside of education. And I have coached lawyers, people in construction, people in the corporate world, of whom I have no real context um, around their industry. And they may be talking about things that either I don't really understand, or I perhaps don't agree 
agree with or don't align with my value set. But my role in that moment is to ask challenging questions, to further their thinking, to construct good questions that make them reflect. So I'm not in that moment trying to influence. I'm trying to work with their strengths to make their organisation a better organisation. Thank you. Um, I'm. I would imagine you're not going to want to give us away, give away too many um, sort of tricks of the trade, <laughs> as it were. But you know, I'm just thinking about our listeners now. Are there any sort of particular questions that you tend to ask as a coach that really stop people in their tracks, that really sort of move them away from maybe a particular way of thinking that is um, inhibiting the development or flourishing of, the, of their practice? Anything that you can share on that front that practitioners can sort of ask of themselves? Coaching questions tend to be, and when I say them out loud, it might they might sound really simplistic, but sometimes they do stop people in their tracks because of their simplicity. So, for example, I, I, I'm, I'm a strengths-based coach, so I focus on people's strengths rather than their weaknesses. I believe that we can improve on our strengths much faster than we can improve on our weaknesses so I I focus there and so I ask people what are your strengths and they'll they'll rattle off a few things people are not used to talking about the things they're good at actually but uh, they'll rattle off a few things and let's say one of them is I'm really good with people for example and and teachers tend to be good relators to other people just really simple questions like how do you know and they just reflect and think I I I don't know I just I think I just think I am and and we just kind of really knuckle down and but how are you good with other people are you somebody who's good to connect them do you work with people do you encourage them are you inspiring are you a leader are you a good communicator how are you good with people let's get into the nitty-gritty of it so it starts with a simple question but then it can be quite a, an expansive one and just a, another one which Uh, You can have a look. It's one of my favourite, favourite videos on YouTube. It's by somebody called Michael Bungie Stinker. I can never say his surname. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, um, But the video is called How to Tame Your Advice Monster. And in that video, and I really encourage people to watch it, and that is a bit of a secret because I love to show that during when I go to schools as, as a sort of opener. In that video, he runs through a series of questions and they're really, really simple. And, and we could do it now really briefly, which is think of a challenge that you, you have coming up that you might want to talk to somebody about. It could be personal, professional. And I would ask a question, which is, so what's the real challenge here? So I'm going to give the, I'm going to do a worked example. Mine is I don't exercise enough. Let's say, <laughs> let's say that's the example. It's it's a true example. <laughs> hypothetically, it's an, it's, yes, that hypothetically I don't exercise enough. So what's the real challenge here, Julie? And I would think to myself, well, I just don't have time to do it, or I don't I don't really want to. I don't like the idea of it. And then the next question is and what else? And again, it's really simple. And what else? And so then I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't value it. I don't, I don't know that it's important. I have other priorities. And then I follow it again with the same question I started with, which is, so what's the real challenge here? And my answer to the last, what the real challenge here question is, is different from the first one. And that's where you're building that understanding. So really what the real challenge here in my second question would be 
it's not something that I prioritize. I do value it, but I'm not making it a priority for myself. So then I can start solving that problem. Why aren't I making it a priority? How could I? Have I found the right form of exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And then we can start to unpack it. But questions are, are fairly simple, but hopefully not simplistic, if you see what I mean. <laughs> And I suppose we could uh, apply those questions if we were a school who weren't sure whether we needed to make time for this kind of thing. I mean, I suppose, I suppose final question, a bit of a double question in a way. If a school is feeling up against it and saying, well, we don't have time, you know, we don't have money, we don't have the space. Um, how can they make the time, assuming they can't take the whole staff off timetable for days and days, you know, how can they make the time and what's in it for them I suppose if the, if they were to make the time for this kind of thing if, if a school were to be super cynical what would you say hmm. if the school is super cynical we have to do the hook part first of all which is you know what's the outcome you want are you ready how can I help you achieve the goals that you want to achieve I suppose you know if, if I were to come across cynical people or even those who are really on board I really break it down to its simplest part, which is when I did my coach training at the very end of it, we did a little round robin to say, you know, what has the impact of this been or, or what would you take away from this? And I said that I know from this moment, every conversation I have will be a better quality conversation. And that impact, I, I can't tell you how much of an impact that has had on my life personally. Uh, with my friendships, my family, my relationships, etc. But in the workplace, they're conscious conversations. And I think if that isn't of value to your organisation, then that's for you to dwell on. But if you could imagine the impact you could make, if every conversation you had, whether that was with a pupil, with a member of staff, with a parent, with a governor, whoever, was a better quality conversation, those tiny little bits cumulatively would make a seismic change well there we go quality conversation has uh, taken place at this end as well thank you julie we're <laughs> going to move from our main discussion now to our infamous short slots as we call them something interesting and something to try don't mind which way round you want to present them but i'm hoping that as we we tend to say you've done your homework <laughs> Like you said, where we had our little preamble about this, this is the bit that causes causes me more um, more anxiety than the free flowing conversation we've just had. But no, I do have some things that you can take away. The first one is the coaching and coaching questions that you're using should be just start really small. And I have a resource that I use a lot, which is called Coaching on the Go. Um, this is not an education coaching book it's just a general coaching book and in there there are loads of little questions things that you can try things that would take you five minutes to just implement in your week and you might want to just take one thing and try it and see how what impact it has so that's that's my book recommendation coaching on the go uh by phil renshaw and jenny robinson uh available in all good bookstores i'm sure and then in terms of things that you can you can try there's three stages to this you you and others and you and your organization everything starts with you so focus on that bit first 
remember back to when I was talking about that self-determination theory. This is the starting point. Which part is being impacted for you? And that's where you can start to un unpick your challenges. Is it that you feel you don't have enough choice and agency? If that's the case, what can you do about that? What about mastery? Do you feel confident and competent at what you do? If yes, great. If not, what could you do about that? And relatedness to others, are your relationships being impacted at the moment? What can you do to improve them? Where are you already strong in those areas? So that's my little takeaway, which is just some self-reflection around that self-determination theory. Thank you very much, Julie. Um, and of course, if anybody out there would like to um, know more about the educational coach, where can they go to find find out more? Um, they can hop over to my website, which is um, theeducationalcoach.co.uk. Um, we also have an Instagram. We are on Twitter, although I, I, we've only just started on Twitter. So um, head over to Instagram. We're very amusing over there anyway. So go and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. Julie Keys, thank you very much for your time. Um, good luck with your future endeavours. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back sometime in the future to tell us more about what you're finding out through this whole coaching method and, and to sort of find out some more takeaways. Um, and we'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Julie Keyes. Thanks to her for taking part down the line from Cornwall. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. Julie's website is theeducationalcoach.co.uk and our Twitter account is at TalkTeachingPod. We'll be back in your ears in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Enjoy teaching.